Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we take a look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here for another fortnight of fun and games and, and sport and all the goings-on in the back rooms of power and, and indeed sometimes the front rooms, but we'll come to that. Uh, of course, I couldn't do it all by myself. I'm ably assisted by a couple of very good friends and colleagues in Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. Always happy to be of assistance. And zooming in from Bleak City, Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Hey, Paul. Hi, everyone. And speaking of Bleak City, can I, uh, can I tell you a little bit about it? An experience I had a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Rich, recently. I was just going to comment. I mean, you do have a bit of a spring in your step at the moment. <laughs> I know you've been down at the F1 and you've told us a couple of times what happened, but please do share. How, it, how was it? It's pretty amazing. Took the kids down, took all the family down. We drove down in the seven seater. Uh, so, a bit of a mission to get down there and get back, but important to indoctrinate the kids while they're young in the ways of motorsport. And long, long story short, I mean, obviously, being famous podcasters that we are, we have mm. you know, access to people and things like that. And well, through connections, long story short, we managed to get, we being the five of us, managed to get in that little booth for the celebs and the, the parents of the drivers in the back of the one of the pit garages during qualifying on Saturday. Phenomenal. No less than the Red Bull garage. Wow. And so it's only there for about 10 minutes, but you're in there, this little booth with the headphones on, you can hear the drivers talking to the engineers and vice versa, talking about track temperature going down. That was wow. what they were talking about That's mostly. exciting stuff. Seeing all the data there on the screens, and it was amazing. How did the kids go with it? Were they well-behaved? Oh, they were well-behaved. Yeah. I don't think they quite understood the amazingness of what they were experiencing, but it was. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt like I, had a, like I had a VR headset on because it was just not real that I was there. So that, goes, amazing. that goes straight to your top three or top five live sporting oh, events, I would have thought. I suppose it does. It's going to have to. There's own. a few on that list, and I know you've been there for a few of them. Uh, look, uh, in the show ahead, we'll look at the various goings-on in the world of rugby league, some internal ructions, a new idea around the salary cap, and a mooted push into the US. We'll be joined uh, a little later on by league great Brad Clyde to delve into all of the above. In the shootout, we'll consider Wimbledon's reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, have a look at some big names moving in and out of CE roles, That'd be CEO roles, in fact. Uh, and I can't believe it, but apparently the Saudi Golf League's not quite dead yet. Uh, of course, we'll wrap it up with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy bringing back into the spotlight the indiscretions of sporting types who'd rather we didn't. Don't forget, you can get us on the socials at for and against underscore on Twitter, on Insta, for dot and dot against. They're the main ones. I was reading recently, Facebook aren't interested in hosting podcasts anymore. So, um, you Thank know, you. we're not interested in them anymore either. Agree. All right, folks, let's get into it. As the winter codes grind into gear on the field, it inevitably follows that there's something of interest happening off it, and currently the NRL is giving us loads to think about. Court action, demands for better stadiums, salary cap proposals, and a mooted push into the US. There's plenty to discuss in the world of rugby league at the moment, Jono. There sure is, Rochi. Um, you know, as it always does, there's lots of politics on and off the field, but yeah, very much looking forward to having a bit of a, a ginwag about it. Mm-hmm. Riles, any of those t- subtopics tickle your fancy in particular? Like, there's a lot to consider. Uh, uh, a lot of them do, but obviously now that I live in the sporting capital of the world, I'm here to make fun of the excuse, the sorry excuse for sporting administration you have to put up with up there, especially <laughs> when it comes to talking about stadiums. So let's get into it. All right. Well, who better to talk all things rugby league with than Brad Clyde, grand final winner with the Raiders, rep player for both New South Wales and Australia and NRL Hall of Famer. Brad, welcome to Four against for and against how are we we're excellent thanks brad and thanks very much for joining us your time is much appreciated brad uh, it's been a couple of decades since you uh, you graced the fields with your presence tell us a little bit about first of all before we get into the, some of these issues about what you've been up to since then so i exited rugby league 
oh, probably 15 years ago. Uh, I worked with the Bulldogs for seven years post my retirement of actually being a player. And, and um, from there, I, I, I did a degree in, uh, I did an MBA and, and sales and marketing for a company called Programmed. National company allowed me some corporate experience and I've been in that space ever since. So I, I, uh, from there, I, I stepped into technology and really enjoyed that that seven years. And from there, I've, um, I, I'm now in executive search with a company called uh, Blenheim Partners, which is dealing with the, the ASX 300 leaders and, and uh, shaping their executive leadership teams. Uh, so we specialise in, in, in search and succession planning and, and trying to really uh, build out their skill set for the future. I think it, I think it's fantastic, you know, Bradley, that you're, you're getting into to this stuff. I think that it, it always fascinates me with uh, the new breed of professional footballers how they don't prep them for a career afterwards. And it's all possible. You know, there's some of the experience that I reckon you got as a player, meeting people, you know, getting to know people and exposure to stuff sets people up to go on and do all sorts of things. Yeah, the, the, there are programs in place these days. Back in the day when I was coming through, there certainly wasn't. So there, there was a gap for uh, during that uh, professional, semi-professional to, to professional uh, there was certainly a gap with the, the training necessary. But um, l- let me just say that it, it's very similar. The, the business, the, the corporate approach, the, everyone's sourcing competitive advantage. Every, everyone uh, requires quality people to be able to lead their team. So leadership is key. All, all the ASX companies are, are, are trying to be better every day so that in itself is exactly like sport so there are a lot of synergies uh, obviously it's not exactly the same but um and every company is different I, I think the transformation from athlete to corporate i i, I think isn't such a, a giant leap and i think there should be more people and I, i'd be really happy to to uh, help develop any of the, the athletes into that transformation. Brad, um, speaking of leadership and, and the corporate world, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about tonight was um, the stadium wars. And the stadium wars, we we have um, Peter Volandis, the head of the Australian Rugby League, up against, at the moment, Dom Perrottet, our Premier in New South Wales. A bit of a history here, as you, you know, uh, I think back in 2019, Gladys promised an $800 million upgrade to Stadium Australia. I think it's now called Accor Stadium, but out at Homebush. New South Wales government did a backflip when COVID hit, um, agreed to continue the SFS, the Sydney Football Stadium upgrade, but shelved the Stadium Australia one. And now Peter Landis is saying that unless the government agrees to pump some money into local stadium upgrades, e.g. Leichhardt Oval and Brookie, then the NRL might even move the grand final to Brisbane. What's your take on all of this? Is this just chess beating or do you think there is a realistic threat that we could lose the, the grand final in New South Wales? I certainly hope not in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think that uh, there is uh, always politics in sport and, and uh, <laughs> I, I was told that analogy that if you really want to understand politics, be a part of uh, a national sporting organisation because there's so many stakeholders involved and everyone wants their, their piece. Sport is, a lot of people are so passionate. I, I think in terms of the, the stadiums 
I'm good friends with Kathy McWayne up there at Queensland Stadium. She's the chair. She would be very happy to, to host it up at, <laughs> at Suncourt Stadium. And, and you would think that they would have some solid ground to be able to stake a claim. For me, sport and tradition intrinsically linked. That conversation needs to be a, a very responsible conversation if you were to relocate the, the grand final or even the, the semifinals. Look, I, I was a part of the, the first semifinal outside of Sydney. Uh, I, I played in a semifinal at uh, Lang Park back in the day, back in 94. It was a massive moment. I, I know that the US has had that model for some time. I, I don't necessarily agree with it. I, I, I think that um, there are some traditions. I think the, the players actually want to play in front of a, a, a stadium that hosts capacity, which is 80,000 uh, or 80 plus, which has an atmosphere and a tradition that is epic, that is like no other. Um, so I, I think if, if you ask a, a lot of the players that where they think the mega game should be played, all the players would suggest that it, it should be at uh, Accor or uh, at the Olympic Stadium here in Sydney. So just, just run with that for a little bit for me, um, mate. The, the AFL Grand Final, the last two, have been played away from you know the obvious place where the New South Wales Rugby League should choose to play their grand final, which is the MCG. But it, it's the traditional heart. It's where the grand final you know should be whenever it could be. But the two grand finals that have been held, one in Brisbane, one in Perth, especially the one in Perth, were very, very special. The atmosphere was brilliant. You know, I think I think you're going to get a bit of pushback from anyone who, I mean, you, you've been at Lang Park. Tell me, tell me true. Can you really compare the atmosphere of a packed Lang Park to the wide open spaces of the Olympic Stadium? So the Olympic Stadium, the configuration is quite different to Suncorp or, or, or the old Lang Park. The, the fans, regardless, there is 80,000 plus people in the Olympic Stadium that um, will create atmosphere Regardless, uh, you ask all the players, they will tell you that when it's at capacity, there's no other experience. Lang, uh, Sun, Suncorp Stadium, on the other hand, for any state of origin, they will always pack it. You know, and, and the passion that comes with Suncorp Stadium is amazing. But it, it's not 80 plus thousand versus 60 plus thousand. It's a different experience. In, in my lifetime, I, I look at the tradition of where we've been to where we want to get to it may happen in the future but i i um, certainly hope it doesn't happen anytime soon steve i know you're a big disruptor of tradition mate but there is something about knowing that you're all gravitating towards you know it's a pilgrim pilgrimage to sydney if you if you play in the grand final you're going to sydney is it any different to knowing that if you're playing the aussie rules grand final you are going to melbourne and there is this maybe a slight advantage and or disadvantage for certain teams but that's the home of the game. You talk about Melbourne being the home of sport, mate. Part of the reason is because the AFL Grand Finals there. You diminish that power, that that uh, that title of Melbourne, if you start shopping the uh, the AFL Grand Final around. Do you want that? Yeah, I, I can see where you're going with that. And let, let's just go back to what Bradley said, which was that if you can have a stadium with more people in it, then you should have the the, the game there. So obviously, you should be coming to the MCG where you have more people mm. in it and. and uh, <laughs> Nice but, big no, look, you're, you're right, Paul. You're right, Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm probably, I'm still a, I'm still born and bred Sydney sider from way back. Yes, it'd be a horrible shame 
if the grand final ever, I can't even keep a straight. No, you can't. So let's so let's yeah. let's, <laughs> let's move on then. Hey, Brad, you, we we referenced the you know the Peter Valandis. Jono asked that in the previous his previous question. Um, what's is is Valandis good for the game? I mean, I think the uh, rugby league had a couple of full starts with a couple of CEOs who maybe culturally weren't aligned to the game. I think Valandis ticks that box in a big big way. Uh, he certainly uh, takes it up the middle to to uh, to use a phrase when it comes to the political side of things. So as much as he, I think he he rubs a few noses in it, but he also seems to be very dedicated to the sport. I suppose. What's what's your impression of of Volandis as as Mister Rugby League? Well, through COVID, every organisation required strong leadership, and and Peter was up to the challenge, and he rolled the sleeves up and jumped into the trenches on day one, and and took the ARLC with him and um, wanted to find a way. He led the world. So Rugby League led the world in terms of finding a solution, and that they did. So I'm very proud of what Peter Volandis did. I think is he the the safe pair of hands for the the game for the rest of the future? I I don't know. But um, during that period of crisis, he was amazing, as were the ARLC, that they made decisions, lobbied government, managed the game in a way that, so that BAU as well as the, the, the crisis and, and showed the world how to manage a bubble to isolate players and, and shut down any risk of contamination for external people. Look, my hat's off to him. Strong leader for rugby league. He was the right man at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting when you go back to what you were saying before about the parallels between leadership in sport and leadership in business. When you think about the way Peter Volandis is uh, appreciated here in the sporting capital of the world, mm-hmm. you know, we hate him the same way we hated Wally Lewis. You know, and, and you know what? The more we hate him, mostly for what he does with horse racing than, than what he does with, with rugby league, but mm-hmm. the more we hate him, the more he likes it, which is what the, which the same with Wally Lewis. And you're spot on. He was so decisive and showed real leadership and in both rugby league and horse racing have benefited from from that leadership. Brad, you um you talked about his leadership through the COVID period. Well hopefully, touch wood, we we've come out of that period mm. and we're now looking at potential expansion of the game. So on the one hand, we've obviously got the much publicized dolphins coming into the competition next year, which will be very exciting. One thing I wanted to mention though, which um got a bit of press recently, was this Potential idea, and I don't know if it's just a um, the apple of Russell Crowe's eye or whatever it might be, or a thought bubble, but is there any prospect at all, do you think, that we will see the season opener in 2023, Manly v. Souths, in Los Angeles? Because you've got Hugh Jackman, who's apparently a massive Manly fan, Russell Crowe, a huge Souths man, obviously, and, and they're backing this. So, you know, we've seen some history of US attempted expansionism back in the uh, mid to late 80s. We, we played a State of Origin exhibition game in California. Do you think there's anything in this? I do, and uh, I, I think it's worthwhile dabbling in. I, I don't know whether it will be a, a competition game. It may well be a more of a, a pre-season game. I, 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 th- I think that there is a market that really appreciates what we do and, and how we play it, and, and uh, let's not kid ourselves. Our product is amazing. The athleticism that is provided on a weekly basis is outstanding and continues to be so. Look, we've, as a game, shot ourselves in the foot a number of times and still we can't 
damage our game anymore. <laughs> and uh, we continually thrive through that. I, I think our product is amazing and the Americans appreciate it. We have provided a number of samples to the American market. There, is, there are competitions over there and, and um, I understand there is some momentum gathering uh, with a national competition. That's been happening for some time. Look, I would love to see a, a Hugh Jackman versus the Gladiator uh, <laughs> to be able to, to bring those two, two teams together. How marketing could create some interest in that, I, I, I can only imagine. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I watch with interest. Who does Nicole Kidman follow, Jono? You're across a couple of them there. Well, well, Kate Blanchett. You know, maybe there's a it's opportunity a, to expand that beyond just Hugh and, uh, and Russ. It's a topic for some research. Yeah, Unfortunately, sure. I think she's a manly supporter. Oh, okay. Well, there goes that idea. Being uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Damn>, expanded. <laughs> Brad, look, last thing before we let you go, and a long laundry list of interesting things going on in rugby league at the moment is uh, is an idea around salary cap. Uh, and, and in particular, what they're looking to do, as I understand it, is allow some salary cap uh, relief, for want of a better term, for clubs that uh, that are playing homegrown players. So if you uh, find, develop, promote uh, a given player, then you're going to be – well, the, the, the idea is you'd have certain concessions around it your salary cap, which, well, I for one, for what this is worth, think that sounds like an interesting idea. And what about yourself? Definitely. I was squeezed out of Canberra. I was a Canberran. I grew mm. up there, mm. as was Ricky. We wanted to be one-team players and understand the loyalty connected for that. The salary cap, I, I, on the flip side, I understand and concede that it's a talent equalisation program and um, you can't have too many great players at one club. I get that the Raiders did force me and Ricky out to, to the Bulldogs, which initiated a new experience, which I, I don't regret, but um, I, I would much prefer to have been a one-club player. I think it's a wonderful concept. I, I, I think um, all the clubs need to buy into it. There are clubs that don't have a strong development program or junior programs like the Roosters or, or even South these days are limited versus the Newcastles and the, the Penriths and even the Canberras that have mega junior capability and churning out absolute heroes all the time. It's an interesting one, but I, I think there's got to be some middle ground and some consideration. I'm glad it's on the table for the NRL. I, think I, had, to, I had to laugh because the Roosters, you know, and I'm going to call them Easts for a second, you know, Easts were actually put forward as a club who would get the benefit of this bonus because apparently they've blooded 45 locals in the, the last 10 years or some some number and they've just completely ignored all of the players that have been brought in on you know ridiculous i'm sure completely legitimate you know salary <laughs> cap salaries but but i think there, there's something interesting in the development territories right i mean the the old suburban breeding grounds aren't going to be enough and i think you know it, it's interesting when you think about the swans and the competitive advantage they seem to have having a massive development area where they get you know benefits of, of homegrown talent, so we'd have to have to bring the bush back into the game, I reckon, and and have certain clubs associated with feeder areas. Group seven, group six, 
Yeah, yeah, and, and that's happening, and we we need to grow the game in the country, uh, and and that all requires some funding. And and um, as we come out of COVID, that the game is prospering through you know, the new TV arrangements and, and agreements. I, um, that is eventually filtering down th- through to the game to be able to grow the game in those country areas that we just spoke of. It's absolutely important. Some of the the best players through history have come from the bush. This is true. This is true. Although I think it'd be clear to say that South Sydney's development area, because Redfern's only really small, they'd have to go to LA and get all of California. (laughs) Wouldn't the Eastern Suburbs have a closer claim than than Redfern? Uh, New Zealand. Brad, I'm sure we could talk uh, forever about a number of these topics, uh, but really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on For and Against. Love the show, guys, and uh, keep it up. And there we are, the literal and metaphorical giant of rugby league, Brad Clyde, joining us. Uh, There's plenty on the plate of the NRL, and I have no doubt we'll be talking about some, if not all of it, before the season is out once again. To the shootout now, where we cover a few more topics in uh, slightly shorter fashion. Tennis, and in particular Wimbledon, and in particular their approach to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Wimbledon stands alone among the majors so far in wading into that conflict by banning all Russian and Belarusian players. Belarusian? Belarusian? Players from the 2022 tournament, from this year's tournament. Now, some, including some tennis greats, have said it's going too far. But I've got to say, I'm a fan. If you're going to come down hard on these guys, and yes, it's a bit unfair these people are representing themselves as individuals, not countries. Well, Richie, we've talked sanctions. And you uh-huh. know, if we're going to make these uh, economic and sports sanctions bite, then I think we've got to be consistent across the board. When you say some legends of the game have come out against it, I saw that Novak Djokovic was one of those uh, legends who came out against it. Now, of course, he's very happy to wade into difficult political waters. Mm. So somewhat ironic that um, he'll be actually allowed to play in Wimbledon, I think, hmm. because the anti or the vaccination got, status is no longer got the jab, a major he? issue. No, yeah. I don't think he's got the jab. All right, but, uh, okay. I think there, there might be some No, they've, they've, allowed you, they've allowed all the players to play without a jab. Oh, exactly, okay. yes. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yep. So he'll be okay, but yeah, it'll have a big impact. I mean, world number one, Danny Medvedev won't be playing. Sorry, the reigning US Open champion, yeah, and world number one, men's number eight ranked Audrey Rublev and Victoria Azarenka of mm. Belarus, a former women's uh, number one. So, yeah, big issue. Look, I, I think, yeah, the, the logic for me is reasonably good from Wimbledon, and that is they, they didn't want anyone from the royal family handing a trophy to either, you know, someone from Russia or someone from Belarus, but I think they were mostly worried about Russia and having it used as a symbol of propaganda mm. during a, a major conflict. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think it, it makes sense. And interesting, Victoria Azarenka's had a go at them, though, saying that, you know, Wimbledon should be sanctioned by the tour for yeah. uh, for acting inappropriately. So, you know, there's there's a few dimensions to this. I'll see your sanctions and raise you further sanctions. Steve, surely by your logic, the US, well, I suppose you don't have the president delivering the, the trophies, do you? Yeah, okay, it's a different kind of logic. It'll be interesting to see what the US tournament does uh, later in the year, whether they follow that path. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting, very interesting, that one. Gil McLaughlin announced his retirement from the AFL recently. Eight years in the big chair will end at the end of the 2022 season. Now, word is that he was planning to go a bit earlier, but they talked him into sticking around for the pandemic. Um, what's what's Gil's scorecard, his tenure? There's things like the, the drug scandal at the Bombers, 
booing of Adam Goods, obviously getting through the pandemic, some expansion clubs in there, the question of Tasmania. John, I can see you're championing the bit in which I'd shut up so you could talk. Oh, not at all, Richie. But uh, the thing on this one that is interesting for me is the amazing stability in that role. So in the AFL, there's been three CEOs in 26 years. So Wayne Jackson was there for about six or eight years, Andrew Demetrio over 10, I think, and now you've had Gil there for eight. So phenomenally stable you know, leadership, and I think that shows how well the AFL has been administered. I hate to admit that mm. to our Melbourne correspondent compared mm. to some of the other sports. But, yeah, I'd give him a solid seven and a half or eight. I think those things you've mentioned have been – um, the Adam Good thing's obviously not so good. I think the expansion of the women's competition would be a great tick point. Um, yep. for him. And the the broadcast deal at the time, it's about six or seven years old now, but that was the biggest TV rights deal in Australian history at the time. Oh, look, I, I think he's he's led the country in sports administration. I've got no doubt about that. I do think there's a, a really good point to make there that you've made there, Simon, about the stability. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, administration, like everything else in sport, is a team game. And if you look at the, the board, the commission, the, if you look at the, the nature of the people that they get involved in running the AFL, yep, it's from all the corners of society, from people who are you know, grassroots involved with the game, all the way through to the titans of commerce uh, around the country, sitting on the board, being you know the chair. And that sort of experience... I think helps to give a leader like Gil the, the opportunity to take their time to build up a, a plan and then execute it on it, and that's what he did. Mm. And I think too, it, you know, at risk of comparing and contrasting with rugby league ad nauseum, it, league does not have that caliber of the titans of commerce, as you put it, Riles, you know, in their back pocket. And I think that's partly to do with the division between league and union in the in those states where the titans of commerce tend to gravitate towards union at risk of oversimplifying this. It's a socioeconomic thing, isn't it, with the supporter base? Yeah. But, yeah, jokes aside, and to your point, Jono, the way the AFL is administered and has been for quite some time is no doubt very impressive and surely because, in large part, because of the calibre of people that it does attract. More recently still, John Coates announced that he's finally handing over the reins at the AOC after 32 years. Uh, you might recall that at a previous election for president, he stared down a pretty stern challenge from uh, former hockey guru Danny Roche. Well, having survived that, he now leaves on his own terms. Could he be looking at helming his second Olympics, uh, that being Brisbane 2032? Yeah, pretty amazing innings, this one, isn't it? I mean, for for all that he's said about John Coates, I mean, he delivered. There's just no doubt about mm. that as far as getting the results for Australia and the Australian Olympic movement. I saw that uh, former Olympic swimming silver medalist Mark Stockwell is getting the gig. So, yeah, he he took it recently. So interesting to see how that plays out. Do you think this is a – are we being consistent here in praising him? I mean, I want to praise him. Like you say, he delivered. But everything else that we talk about when it relates to the IOC comes with an asterisk or a great big load of sarcasm Hmm. you know is there an asterisk around what he's done for the country or are we prepared to say you know what he did what he had to do to survive in that space he brought the well let's call it the the purity the ideals of australian sport and still gave it the opportunity to shine well i think we we i think we generally err on the sentimental when we when the relief comes of some political animal of the nature of john coates finally gives up the ghost and so we've got a bit more space to breathe and and look you know here's the here's the guy who as part of his announcement also admitted for the want of a better term that 
the Sydney games were, were bought. bought. I think that's a quote, isn't it? I think he used yep. those terms. And, you know, in saying that, he said, look, I, you know, it was all under, done under the rules at the time. It would, you couldn't do it now. And, you know, perhaps the Sydney process and indeed certainly the Salt Lake process are a big part of that. But um, he did what he had to do. And look, never fear, though, as I understand things, he won't disappear entirely. Of course, he is still the vice president of the IOC or one of the vice presidents. And then fear, fear not further because beyond – so he'll, he'll relinquish that role, sorry, uh, after Paris 2024. But then he's got it worked out so he becomes an honorary life president of the AOC. And his frequent flyer points are looking good for the next 10 years, I think. And he's currently trying to get the – and I, I might come to this later in uh, Red Card, Yellow Card. He's currently trying to get the organising committee for Brisbane to need to have this honorary life president role in their organising committee. A political genius. What Exactly. Jono, speaking of political geniuses, mm. has the shark jumped the shark Ooh, with this Saudi golf league that I thought was dead and buried, but you're telling me there's still a little little flicker of life in it? Uh, before we get on to that, Rajee, sure. go and watch 30 for 30, the shark documentary. Do yourself a favour, listeners. Uh, one of the best 90 minutes of sports docos you will watch. Okay. But yeah, look, Saudi golf league... Um, we did say a couple of shows ago that it might be dead in the water, but no, it's coming back, I think. Uh, Rumours have it that there'll be some big announcements over the next few weeks. Apparently, Phil Mickelson has been paid $42 million bucks to play the entire series. But didn't he blow that up, right? He signed up and then he sort of used that as leverage against the PGA. He did. Well, he blew and that up. scared off a lot of other people, sorry, and then sort of left Shark with nothing. It did, but I, I don't think it will be nothing because I, I think the Saudis aren't going away with this and there is a movement and all it will take is, you know, the signatures of four or five big names and I think more and more will follow. So by all reports, uh, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Louis Oosthuizen are the names that have been bandied about and they are, you know, serious names in the world of golf. Yes, they're, you know, late 30s, early 40s, but they are big names and if they sign up, that'll be bad news for the PGA. Uh, I, I think that's wishful thinking on your part, Simon, and on the part of the Shark. I, I think it'll look like, I don't know, maybe a, a tournament or two that happens in you know Japan or Thailand or, dare I say, Australia, where we shell out for a few big names to join in. And then there's a bunch of also-rans in the field. I think we called it right last time. They might throw some money at it, but I don't think this is going to run. Uh, for me, uh, it looks like just the Shark has, has choked once again. Uh. And here we are at Red Card, Yellow Card, our favourite part of the show where we bring back into the spotlight where sporting types have uh, have erred off the field of play and uh, we like reminding people of those indiscretions. Uh, Riley, fire off. Yeah, mine's a really short one. It's an obvious one. It's a straight red. It's obvious. We'll be the judge of that. I'm nominating Gianni Infantino, the vice president of FIFA. Now, you know, the you know, FIFA have appeared on Red Card, Yellow Card many, many times. <laughs> And sure enough, we can rely on Gianni to get us there again because he has, and I can't believe it, he has claimed that the biennial World Cup idea was not a FIFA proposal. He's disowned uh, the biennial idea. And, and I, it's a straight bird because, it's as we've talked about on this show many times, a fantastic idea. And for him to disown it is once again FIFA shooting itself in the foot. I disagree with the fantastic idea. Can I actually can I double down on that red? Because he deserves a double red if such a thing is possible. Because he, I think he was also quoted quite recently when he was asked about the the the, the workers' rights in Qatar. 
he was saying words to the effect of, you know, people get meaning and value out of hard work. Oh, goodness. Oh. Yeah. I think Stephen deserves a red okay. for thinking it's a good idea to have a World Cup every I two years I think we've covered well. that before, but, yeah, agree. It's worth mentioning again. Jono, what about yourself? Boris Boom Boom Becker. Ah, uh, yes. Legendary tennis player, globetrotting mm. coach and commentator. He's had his fair share of incidents over the years, some of which, you know, he, he'd prefer not to dwell on. Um, but he's been in recent strife with the corporate regulator in the UK. They pursued him in criminal proceedings arising as a result of Boris hiding a bunch of assets from his bankruptcy trustees. I think this is his second round of bankruptcy. Ah, he had really? one in Germany, one in the UK now, and uh, he didn't really learn, unfortunately. He was busted first time round and got a suspended sentence. And then in the UK, they went after him pretty hard. And uh, quite recently, he's been sentenced to two years mm. in the big house. Mm. So Fairly massive fall from grace. I did, of course, notice the, in the press coverage he was accompanied to court by his Dutch model girlfriend, uh, Lilian de Cavallo Montero. Um, of course. Yeah, Boris is still doing well with the ladies by the looks of things. Well, he's going to have a couple of years off him by the sounds of things. That is a bit sad. So we, well, it's a court-imposed red card, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, he's off, off the field. Yeah, so mine, as we spoke of earlier in the show, so while John Coates is stepping down as president of the AOC, he's uh, not going away. And uh, indeed, in that bid that I referred to to get himself a spot on what I like to call Bocog. Remember Socog? Bocog. Yeah, it's now Brisbane. Brisbane or what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. Nice. I, I've, yeah, good. It's more, it's, I think it's written as Brisbane OCOG, but I, I want to call it Bocog. Takes me back to the Sydney days. Anyway, so it turns out that he's, wrote, he's written his own letter of recommendation. From these accomplishments, I hope you and the uh, Olympic Canada leadership group will agree that John, note the third person here, is uniquely qualified to continue to add value, add value, love it, to the Brisbane Organising Committee following the conclusion of his membership as an independent IC member. Indeed, it is hard to think of anyone better qualified in the world of sport. <laughs> Accordingly, you and the OCLJ are requested to include a position for the AOC Honorary Life President on the OCOG commencing on the conclusion of his membership as an independent IOC member. Sorted. How good's that? How good's that? I wonder how that got leaked. That's fantastic. And now, look, my nomination is not for John. What? But for CEO Matt Carroll, who clearly didn't have the time or the ability to write his own reference letter for John, because this actually got sent to the organising committee by Matt Carroll, the CEO. Uh -huh. So, Johnny was doing up his own letter that didn't actually come from John, came from the CEO. Who would write their own reference? I actually want to give them both a card. Maybe both are yellow. Yeah. Yeah. But who yes, who please. writes who writes yeah. their own reference? He's not the first and he won't be the last, but he got caught. And that's Bastard. why he's on red card, yellow card. John Coates, come on down. And with the conclusion, red card, yellow card, brings us to the conclusion of For and Against for another exciting episode. Thank you for joining us, Stephen Riley. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everyone. It's goodbye to Simon Johnson. See you, Rochi. Fare thee well from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, find us on Twitter at For and Against underscore on Insta, for dot and dot against. And uh, keep an ear and an eye out for the next show in a fortnight's time. Until then, it's bye for now. Bye.